what's the sound? What's the song you're singing? Dum, 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 dum. Yeah. Uh, hi, guys. Hey, everybody. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to the 13th floor episode. Is this 17? Uh, I can't. 17 I, through 18, it's maybe. 16 through 18. <laughs> one of those ones. Uh, I am Cece. I'm Alex. I'm James. And uh, yeah, this is the 13th floor podcast where we talk about, we're like, where we'd like to keep it strange. We'll save that for the end. I can do it at the beginning too. Okay. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, how have you guys been? Any any exciting life events going on? Hmm. Uh, Cece, you got to tell your story about the guy with the balloons. Oh my gosh. <laughs> James, did I tell you about the guy with the balloons? No, you did not. Okay. This is something that I witnessed uh, while leaving my favorite store the other day, Target. I was leaving Target and there's a party central that's like next to the Target. And there was a guy who bought like 12 balloons and he put them in his car. He was driving in front of me and I see him in his car and he put them in the front seat for some reason, which I thought was odd. Um, But he had his windows open just a hair. So as he drove, they're violently shaking about <laughs> and he he kept i could see him moving his hand like trying to push the balloons back and he lost control of his car and he had a car oh. and he popped his tire which i'm standing i'm like behind this guy i'm like this guy's an idiot so we're at a red light he jumps out of his car to look at his tire and he opens his door and uh, he leaves like his, his <laughs> no. uh, yeah he left his driver's side door open so the balloons just slowly migrate towards that side of the car, and then they float away into the, the atmosphere. And so then he's freaking out about both his tire and his balloons floating away. <laughs> wow. I mean, so, th- this is where clowns come from. This is like the origin. It, everything that you just told me sounds like a clown bit, but he doesn't have makeup on. It was. I felt like I was watching a movie unfold yeah. before me. Some Charlie Chaplin stuff, yeah. Yeah, but they were all red balloons, so it was it was Ooh. I don't know, there's something sinister Ooh, about a yeah. red balloon. So yeah, it yeah. was it was a little creepy. But yeah. seeing this guy go wild on the side of the road and then, you know, just a little bit more salt on the wound yeah. that he lost were, all of his balloons. Were they ninety nine red luft balloons? Oh. You know, there were enough in his car that it could have been. It could have <laughs> been. Um, Maybe he's in and, a German cover band. <laughs> God only knows where those balloons are now. Um, yeah, that's the most exciting thing to happen to me lately. I am, I am overcoming a cold. So if my voice sounds different to you, you guys, all you beautiful listeners out there, um, just know that that's what it is. I'm recovering. Mm. I'm going to be okay. You guys (laughs) I'm going to be all right. But if you want to send ice cream or, um, well wishes, you can do that. I'll happily accept them. I don't have anything going on. Okay, well, there's that. <laughs> it's pretty boring over here. James, what about you? Uh, nothing that, that can be compared to your balloon story. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, I got I got a, a really pointless story. Um, I was taking a shower a few days ago, and I look over on my door, and there's a, a house spider. Uh-huh. So I put her in a little container because I, I like spiders, but I also don't like them just running around wherever they want. So then couple days later, I look over on my door, taking a shower, and there's a male house spider. And I was like, oh, I know what you're doing. You're trying to find that lady. So I put him <laughs> in uh, the, yeah. So I put him in the enclosure with her, and, uh, well, she ate him. 
James, you, you tried to do you tried to play matchmaker and you see where it yeah. got you. Well, I think I succeeded. I think it just ended uh, the way a lot of spider courtship ends. <laughs> so you think you're going to have baby house spiders, but they're they're going to uh, be fatherless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I hadn't thought about it in that context. Wow. <sighs> <laughs> just the thought of having baby spiders gives me a stomach ache. And I know, um, I know, James, you love spiders. And yeah. I don't mind spiders. If I see one in my house, I'll catch it and release it. But they, yeah. I, I don't want to I normally do that too, but that's the thing. House spiders, like if you, if you release a house spider, they literally evolve to live with people. You take those outside, they just die. <laughs> they don't know how to live outside of a house. Well, I wonder if that male spider would have had a better chance. Had you released him in the wild him. versus? Uh, he got what he wanted. <laughs> so um, I guess we we have an icebreaker. Alex, do you have an icebreaker for us? Oh yeah, and like usual, I am unprepared. Okay, again. Well, think of something quickly. I haven't I always? No. No. Editing goes a long way, you guys. <laughs> no, please. But you, I think you've hardly ever. If you ask me what my favorite uh, Asian food is, oh. I'm all. <laughs> what, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I almost wanted to ask you. I kind of got one. I think I thought of one. Okay. All right. What you I got? know that uh, as we discussed, I know you guys don't like the idea of being hypnotized. But if you were, like if you went to a hypnotist, what would it be to fix about you? Ooh, that's a good question. Oh, thank you. I will say the thing that I'm absolutely terrified of, of them doing is like, you know, they fix something, but they make it extreme. So I'm like, okay, so maybe I want them to make me want to have more like of a work ethic or something like that. But then what if all I do is want to work? And then uh, I just don't, you know. You work yourself to death. Oh, well, Yes. <laughs> so so we established two things. Then you want to be more productive and you're paranoid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> essentially, exactly. essentially what it okay. is. I think, um, I'm trying to think of, I, I would probably want uh, to be less afraid of fire. Fire? Wow. Yeah. That is Thank God. I, I can finally, I could finally have a slow cooker meal. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. You're afraid of fire. I did not know this. Fire. I, I, it's not like if I'm near a fire, I won't like freak out, but I'm just always constantly terrified that I've left the stove on. Oh, uh, actually, I do that. That's that's really yeah. more OCD than a fear. No, yeah, she's like, afraid of fire. Well, like, yeah. Absolutely. Because her dad has even like rolled his eyes about it. Like it was one of the uh, first times like he mentioned something like that. Like I'm like, yeah, she's listen. afraid of fire. He's like, oh, my God. He's like, he's like, she's always been afraid of something catching on fire. I don't I don't <laughs> like it. I had a very bad incident when I was a child. With uh, a fire in my house, I accidentally lit a paper towel on fire while I was cooking. <laughs> and that was oh my god! That was the beginning of it. Uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, if uh, you hear anything in the background, it's our um, dishwasher. It's draining, draining. again. Uh, you guys, just be happy that we're cleaning our house. <laughs> um, James, what about you? I wish that in uh, certain social situations that I was more confident. And actually, honestly, like you, Alex, I'm, I would be scared that it would backfire a little bit and ju- I would just turn into uh, <laughs> kind of like a psychopath, really. Just like, what can I get out of these people? And then just like, <laughs> everyone. Just turn into a con man, basically. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, I think that for hypnotism to work, you've really got to be suggestible yeah. and believe that it's going to work. So I don't know if, if I could be cured of my fear of fire. Oh. Well, that's not necessarily true. I mean, with and I guess this will be getting into my thing a little bit, but and I guess we've probably all studied a little bit of how it works just to pique our curiosity before we went into our other things. But sure, everyone, as far as I can tell, everyone is suggestible to varying degrees. But the key thing is that you have to want to be hypnotized. Do I want right. to be hypnotized? See, <laughs> I like hypnotism freaks me out too because I kind of. I'm just scared that somebody's going to make me like, you know, a murderer and I don't want to be a murderer. Oh, well, wow. <laughs> and maybe we can go into that a little bit more, but I doubt that you would be able to be convinced that way. Yeah. yeah. From what I, from the research that I did, it, it does seem to be that way, but it's still kind of, you know, the thought of somebody being able to suggest something in you. Well, do it is creepy. Instead of, uh, I guess talking about all this before we get to it. Yeah, I guess Let's maybe. Let's go ahead and dive in so maybe, our li- yeah. listeners can be caught up. Yeah, listeners, um, in case you haven't gathered, today we're talking about hypnotism. <laughs> <laughs> I guess guess we should, we should start off with that. And Alex is going to start us off today. He's going to be talking about how hypnotism works. That's right. So, guys, strap in. Got a bunch of quotes. Got a bu- I did a bunch of research on this. And Alex, research of research. All of you, you listeners, right now, Alex has a little um, pendulum watch that he's just swinging in front of the <laughs> microphone. Yeah, I'm trying to convince everybody that this is a good podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. It is good. It is good. Continue listening. Okay, Alex, tell us maybe, how does hypnotism work? Well, maybe I should get the hypnotist to be for make me a little less uh, self-deprecating. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> anyway, all right. So, as you all know, I'm doing some, I'm going to talk about hypnosis, and I'm also going to give you all some short stories towards the end. But hypnosis in most, in at least in most cases, especially like hypnotherapy, which is where you go to conquer something like we were just talking about. Like a fear or make yeah. yourself better. Right. Is done by manipulating your subconscious. So, as with anything, like alcohol, pain, whatever, not everyone is on the same playing field when it comes to each person's suggestibility. And what I mean by suggestibility, for those that don't know, is an individual's resistance to hypnosis. Certain people are more easily able to enter a hypnotic state. So, and there's kind of three basic categories, high, low, mid levels of suggestibility. I mean, there's a huge spectrum, but uh, according to this study done by some researchers at the Friedrich Schiller University in Germany, uh, they hypnotized several individuals and told them to keep count of the number of times a specific shape went by. So like looking at a screen? Yeah, like okay. looking at a screen. But the, the, the trick is, that's, that wasn't the hypnotic part, I guess. What they did was they told they hypnotized these people to picture a wooden board in front of their face, obstructing their view. So they have the wooden board in front of them obstructing their view. So the more suggestible the person is, the harder it's going to be for them to see the objects. You see what I'm saying? I'm confused. So with someone with less suggestibility, that board's not going to be as... Distracting? 
yeah, it's not going to be as distracting. It's not going to be as, uh, I, I picture it being more opaque isn't the word. I'm trying to think of the computer setting where you try to make something more clear. Transparency. Yeah, transparency. There you go. Oh my God. <laughs> opaque. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I, I think of it as the board being more transparent or less transparent depending on the individual's suggestibility. So just just so I understand, the board is not covering like their entire. There's no view. board. Oh, there's no board. Okay, never mind. Yeah the 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 board is a complete fabrication in fabrication the in their brain caused by the hypnotism, and so what their goal is to count these shapes as fast as they can. They're going at rapid fire, and they use this to determine an individual's suggestibility. So what they learned was a Everyone obviously was making errors on how many they could count because it's going so fast. But the more the people with more suggestibility had more errors because this one thing was blocking their vision. That wasn't this one thing that's not there was blocking their vision, <laughs> lessening their ability to count the amount of shape these specific shapes that are going by. How how did it say they were hypnotized? Was it just? It didn't specify. Now, are you meaning like what they used to hypnotize them in terms of like different yeah. methods? Yeah, like, like, not, I'm like you're getting very sleepy. No, they did not go into that. They just okay. said that they hypnotized them. They didn't specify what the method was, and that might be. And I might be speaking out of turn because I did, I don't know for sure, but it might be because different individuals respond differently to certain tactics. Tactics, and I'm actually going to go into a few tactics here in just a moment. So not only did they learn that obviously everyone has errors, but they vary from person to person based on their uh, suggestibility. But they also found out that during hypnosis, brain activity changes. And I got this part from a website called Elite Daily, where they actually interviewed a doc, or actually it's research of research. So they talked to Dr. Barbara Schmidt. And this is a researcher that told website Eureka Alert. So Eureka Alert. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when when they looked at the neural processes, and this is her quote, so when we look at the neural processes that take place in the brain while processing the symbols, we see around 400 milliseconds after the presentation of the to-be-counted symbol. So it's 400 milliseconds after the presentation. So after the symbol shows up, there is an extreme reduction in brain activity, although it should normally be very high. However, a short time before this, up to 200 milliseconds after a presentation of the stimulus, there are no differences to be seen. So for a very brief sh- amount of time, there is a drastic slowdown of the brain. And this is for like in, in any case of hypnosis, or is it specifically about the, the, the case this, with the symbols? This is more in case of most cases of hypnosis is that there is actually a scientific now that we're getting more advanced in our technology, no one still completely understands how it is triggered or how it works, but there is due to brain scans that there is a clear indication that during hypnosis, brain activity slows or changes, not just slows, but it changes in certain areas, but typically it slows. And usually that's, that is because the subconscious mind is working rather than the conscious mind. Okay. Yeah, it's actually some some people actually call it hyper awareness because the conscious part of the mind is slowed down almost to a halt, but the subconscious 
has actually taken hold of the reins and is so aware of the surroundings that they can actually recall things that they normally shouldn't be able to. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's true. And that could be something like even, uh, I wouldn't say shouldn't be able to, but it's something that their minds put blocks on like repressed memories and that type of thing. Yeah. I'm talking in in terms of like sensory, uh, awareness too. Like for example, you block out a lot of things every day, Alex, just to, you know, survive. Uh, If I were to ask you, you know, Hey, what color was that car in front of you when you turned right off of the interstate earlier uh, today, yes. you would not remember. But in a hypnotic state, you'd be like, it was orange. The license plate was, <laughs> you know, it would be like crazy. So, yeah. And that is true. There are cases of them actually using that to help people get through trauma that and all kinds of stuff where they remember things that they don't remember. And that's not because of like trauma memories, but it's just like, oh, where were we you on this day? Stuff, yeah. yeah, we filter a lot of stuff, which is why, you know, certain people have uh, like, photographic memory Uh, i've seen some people suggest that maybe all of us have a photographic memory but we all filter things differently interesting (laughs) yeah but that was that was a theory that there's no proof behind that but uh okay so hypnosis is pretty weird you know we've seen now we have proof that things slow down but we can't explain why Mm. so you might be asking yourself but how this kind of goes back to the methodology that we're talking about of how you get someone into a hypnotic state. Well, Rachel Helson, uh, the founder of the fullness of your power told elite daily in an interview that you may be familiar with the, you're getting very sleepy type of induction, which is actually a method they do use. Uh, it helps simulate the twilight period between wake and sleep when the normal barriers between the different parts of your brain start to relax. So, you know, it's, a, it's that weird state when you're falling asleep, but you're kind of awake. I experience that every day. <laughs> Cece used to experience that a lot. I wonder if that means that I could be hypnotized. <gasps> Probably. <laughs> uh, and so they also use guided imagery, which helps the client imagine themselves in certain types of environments, doing things. Uh, it can not only insist in dissolving the barriers, kind of like the, the twilight status, but it can also use they can also use a metaphor in order to com- communicate complex concepts to the subconscious mind. So they they kind of take you on a journey. You're going to a forest. There's a babbling brook. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> imagine yourself, James. You're you're sitting along a brook. The water's babbling next to you. Yeah, exactly. So, so they slowly take you into that trance state. Um, but, but they say that one of the most effective triggers, and this is one that I've never heard or even seen in a movie or anything is confusion. A therapist may use intentionally long and convoluted sentences or say things that don't make sense so that your brain will stop and go, wait, what? I feel like that would work for me. Right. So you're like, like, the tree ate the salamander up your butt. I don't know. I mean, I was I hoping that thinking. you just made that up and it wasn't like a normal. Uh, I just hypnotize you all, and you are going to eat a grilled cheese tonight at midnight. That sounds really oh good. <laughs> <laughs> so the article goes on to explain that the confusion caused by this makes your conscious mind like kind of real, like like what the heck is this? What's happening? And it leaves your so- subconscious vulnerable. For them to be able to hypnotize you. <laughs> yeah. So if I ever say something crazy to you, CC. I no. say crazy things all the time. So I'm su- 
I, I'm gonna have to use that. Yeah. So you're mm. <laughs> go wash the dishes. But mm-hmm. Rachel, uh, Rachel goes on to say that hypnotic states aren't actually all that uncommon, and that really many of us really experience them. Uh, I wouldn't say regularly, but pretty often, especially especially me. I've entered this all the time. So she says something like going to work. Oh, I know what you're yeah. about to say. Yeah, exactly. I know. Yeah. So you know you're driving somewhere. You go all the time. And then you get there and you're like, I don't remember driving there. Right? Yeah. James, have you experienced that? Uh, frequently, yeah. It, yeah. It she says that this time. is the equivalent of going into a hypnotic state. Yeah. That's good. You know, you get there and you have this sense that you remember going, but you don't remember it. You were right? hypnotized by uh, that Honey Boo Boo Marathon. Yeah, yeah, you were. No, you were. No, let's not talk about You know, that it's funny. My my twin actually has a theory that a lot of those shows, like the Kardashians, that they actually are a form of hypnosis. She, because <laughs> I mean, really, it's they are one of those weird shows where if you have it on and then you pass by and you notice you the show, you just you lose track of time. Yeah, it's it's kind of freaky. I agree with your sister. Weird stuff. Tell her she's right. <laughs> yeah, reminds me of that movie They Live. You guys ever oh, see that movie? Yeah. Oh, great. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. So there's two theories about what happens when you're actually hypnotized. Uh, The first is called a non-state theory. And you can think of this as, I like to liken it to something like the placebo effect. So we've probably all seen a movie or TV show or even known somebody who's gone to a party, had a non-alcoholic beverage that they thought was alcoholic, and started to behave like they were drunk. Uh, I'm sure all of us have seen this at least in a movie. Yeah. If not something else. And this is a this is something that has been studied before. People who are around people that are drinking and are drinking a beverage that they believe is alcoholic and is not will start behaving like they're inebriated. Yeah. Right. Right. And so some people think that that's what hypnosis essentially triggers is that you think and you want to be hypnotized and therefore you behave like you're hypnotized. Hmm. Kind of like, and this kind of goes back to our Tulpas episode, these people, we we were saying that it's possible that maybe these characters that take over their host are just these people behaving the way that they want to be. So I guess it's not too far away from that. I guess like, because when I was in college. It's on their personality. When I was in college, um, we had a hypnotist who came and performed uh, at this little area that I worked at, at UK, and... He did hypnosis act and he got everybody on stage to cluck like chickens, which I guess is really common. Saw lots of videos of hypnotists doing this online, but yeah. Is that kind of like like that people just want to be Well, that's the that's where the two different theories cuz this is the first theory. So the non-state it, theory. So and I would I personally think that non-state theory would probably apply to stage acts. Okay. Personally, and I do I do have a uh, an interesting response from a hypnotist regarding stage versus uh, like hypnotherapy versus hypnotherapy. Okay, mm. and, and so I, I was that was I was maybe going to use that, but now that you brought that up, I'm going to have to. Um, <laughs> so, and the other theory is state theory, and uh, state theory is when you're entering an altered state of mind, kind of like what what a lot of us assume Hypnotism. hypnosis is, is. Okay. So there's an experiment done by a psychologist at Stanford named Ernest Hilligard, uh, who compared subjects that had had and had not been hypnotized by 
hypnotizing them and telling them to put their hands in freezing water. So people people who have not been hypnotized will put their hands in the water, hold it in as long as they could, and pull it out. He knows that the people who had been hypnotized kept their hands in the water for far longer than the people who had not been hypnotized. And so, but what he's what he goes on to say is that hypnotism can remove blocks in your brain so that you can do something that you previously couldn't, all that kind of stuff. But he says that eventually the pain in this experiment was able to snap the people out of their hypnosis. So they're not going to keep their hands in there until until they get frostbite. frostbite or damaged or all that. But they are, when they hit a point of absolutely extreme pain, they will pull out eventually and snap out of it. Okay. Yeah. So on top of that, recent research seems to indicate that state theory is most likely to be true. Kind of like that's the uh, experiment that I was talking about at the beginning. That with brain scans, they are really starting to believe that hypnosis is more of a state theory than a non-state theory. Okay. Hmm. Uh, is it possible to hypnotize yourself? Good question. Uh, uh, did you did you figure that one out, Alex? No, I don't. I will, so, I James, will cover I guess you. Then. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I I have a feeling that you can, but I want to say no. Well, I, I say that, but then you can hit enter a hypnotic state while driving. Yeah. But then you're not also going to be suggesting things to yourself while you're doing that, right? Unless you play a tape or something, maybe. Well, one thing that I think is really interesting is I, when I used to take acting classes, uh-huh. there's there's some method of acting where people will, like, they're, say you're told to pretend that you're in the desert and you're dying of heat stroke. And these people will be in, like, a nice air-conditioned building and they'll start acting like they're, you know, in the desert. And then next thing you know, they're sweating and their face starts to turn red. And I'm like, I wonder if that is them inducing like a hypnotic state where they can get to that point where their body like feels those sensations and they feel like they really are in the desert. What you're describing is absolutely hypnotic and it can absolutely be done. Um, In fact, Amelie Rowe, or however you say her flipping name, uh, (laughs) came up with that to begin with. So yeah, self-hypnosis absolutely exists. Okay, so we'll let you you hop into that shortly. Yeah, I just... Besides my couple of stories, which I might save for maybe the end of the podcast or something. Maybe you can save them because we'll see if there's any overlap with mine. Uh, I'm going to go back to stage versus hypnotherapy. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was this response by the, and this was on Quora, which is a really cool website. People go and answer things. I went and looked up the guy who responded because usually it is like academics that go and respond on this, on this website. And this guy's name was Keith Blakemore Noble, and he's a uh, public speaker who also does he does he works on hypnotherapy. He does stage performances. He's he's actually like he's a legit. Okay, this isn't some random guy on Reddit. And the question was on the website is: Is it true that you can't get a hypnotized person to do something that they wouldn't do when not hypnotized? Mm-hmm. So the. That's just asking, can you make someone do something they don't want to do? Like murder. <laughs> like murder. So Keith's answer was, was that the short answer to, to the question is no, that it's not true. Saying that you can't make someone do something that they don't want to do. Mm-hmm. So his answer essentially for your thing earlier was that, no, you can't be turned into a murderer unless you actually want to murder somebody. <sighs> okay, good. So 
Uh, he says, that, however, the question itself is a simplistic one and probably doesn't accurately reflect the question, the original question, and what they had really wanted to know. And so he says, with hypnosis, the person in hypnosis is always in control, not the hypnotist. Okay. The reasoning he says for that is that the hypnotist just makes suggestions and they can give commands, and but their commands are still just suggestions. And it's up to the person in the trance whether or not to comply. If they really do not want to comply, they won't. Yeah. And so he, he just pretty much goes on to say that, you know, if someone real if someone goes to get hypnotized to quit smoking, then they I mean, obviously they've gone through the steps to go there. So they their, probably of want their it. own will. They're going there to be hypnotized. So they're going to be open to his suggestions and they'll accept them. Makes sense. Okay. You know, but, but if that person was forced there and wanted nothing to do with this hypnotism, then they're, it's not going to work on them. Hmm. So you're not going to trick on them unless I guess on a subconscious level, they just really wanted to quit smoking. But this says he just says that as long as someone's open to it, then it works, especially in a clinical, uh, in a clinical uh, setting. But he says from a stage hypnosis perspective, People who go up tend to be volunteers who know what they are letting themselves in for and are up for it, in quotes. Uh, so they're all pretty likely to go along with the hypnotist's suggestions, which is why they would normally do things that they would not normally do. So, Like they, cluck like a chicken. Like cluck like a chicken or sing in front of a crowd or do like anything kind of more outgoing than they normally would. So it's the same for the hypnotherapy and the stage. Uh, the only difference is really the setting. Huh. I, I I believe probably that the the stage is a non-stage theory type of setting where there's no actual change to brain function and that a hypnotherapy probably has a change to brain function. Mm. Cool. Now, that's me maybe being a little pessimistic about people being hypnotized on stage, to, uh, especially in a mass degree. I wouldn't call it pessimistic. It just seems like a healthy dose of uh, skepticism. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, since I'm already talking about the stage, I do have one short story I want to talk about that I labeled in my notes called Lottery. Oh, no. (laughs) So while at a county fair, a hypnotist made a woman believe that she had hit the jackpot. Oh, that's story. mean. Am I ruining your thing? No, no, I didn't. I didn't talk about this. And, and he was doing he was doing tricks with everybody, making them look like chicks, doing doing everything. But he had made a woman believe that she had won a, ju- a jackpot. But the problem with it was, was that she was on stage crying, celebrating, and she started to go into what had just happened that day—that she had just lost her job. Oh. And, you know, so she's celebrating that she's won the lottery because she just had this devastating job loss. And the friend says that she could just, she could hear the crowd just cringing like, oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) So you can imagine that probably didn't go over too well with her once she was uh, snapped out of it. Yeah, Yeah. when she realized that she did not actually win the lottery. Yeah, but that's an interesting story because it's like this person was... You know, obviously, she would want to win the lottery. So she was hypnotized into it. And the thing that makes me think that maybe this was a state theory was that she started spilling her guts to the crowd about how much this meant to her. Yeah. Unless she was, well, I I don't know. 
I mean, I, I don't know why she would go on to the crowd about how she just lost her job, but well, it's because she felt such oh. a, an intense relief upon oh, finding yeah. out that her problems. Oh, so tragic! I know, right? It's like it's like heartbreaking and also kind of amazing. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Well, thank you for telling us about hypnosis and how it works, James. You've got some some interesting hypnosis facts. Uh, yeah, yeah, interesting facts and a few misconceptions here and there. Um. One really interesting thing, how how long do you think, uh, how old do you guys figure hypnosis probably goes back to? It's very old practice. 1700s. Way before then. Yeah. Uh, probably, probably before then. I'm just thinking about yeah. the guy who and, created the word mesmerized. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah, I'll get into that. Um, yeah, yeah. Hypno- hypnosis <laughs> itself, though, it goes back around 1500. BC. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, the uh, the Egyptian physicians, they had these little places called sleep temples. And they would use hypnosis in order to uh, treat people for their problems. So not only is hypnosis very old, the ancient use is really not that different from the modern use. It, you know, it wasn't like, you know making people sacrifice themselves to creepy gods or anything like that. It was literally like, oh, you have a toothache? Now you don't. Like, that was what it was. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty neat that it was been around that, that long. That being said, the, the name, yeah, it comes from Franz Mesmer. And that was in, like, the, uh, uh, I think it was the 18th century. Yeah, 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 1700s. Uh, Franz Mesmer. He had some weird views on it. <laughs> he he was good yeah, he at did. hypnotizing people. But his view on it is actually where we get the term animal magnetism, which has sort of lost all meaning. You know, now when people think of that, they just think, oh, well, somebody's very charming. But he actually believed that the fluids within a person and, and all animals had a magnetic property and that by making use of his own uh, mental faculties, he could influence the magnetic pull of those fluids and induce hypnotic states in people. So it's it's one of those fun examples of somebody who has really hit the nail on the head in practice, but then like their, their reasoning behind it is just ooh, out there. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That being said, it's kind of funny that it's gone from an ancient Egyptian art to an ancient Phoenician art to a super pseudoscientific art back a couple hundred years ago. Now, not only is it still in practice, uh, the non-stage form is a fully accepted form of treatment for, for a variety of things. So it's not, uh, it's not pseudoscience at all at this point. You can, you can go to a hypnotherapist and there is no legal issue with their, their treatments. It's not like the the creepy, weird apple cider vinegar and bleach enema stuff you see online with a lot of other <laughs> uh, increasingly popular pseudoscientific practices. And it's actually so effective um, that it can actually be used to manage pain, both psychological and physical. It's really remarkable. There are actually presumably, uh, I find this so hard to believe, but there's record of it. Some women actually have what's called prenatal hypnosis which allows yep. them to oh so you've heard of this wow yeah yeah i was going to talk about it in a little while uh, well, you talk about prenatal i've got some other things well, I can talk well about. thankfully that's actually as far as i got with it it just struck me as bizarre oh. that that's, yeah <laughs> it just struck me as totally bizarre that that's like a thing like that, that yeah people do it yeah the power of suggestion is that powerful 
really remarkable. Um, and it's kind of funny you mentioned differences between stage hypnosis and uh, real therapeutic hypnosis because it, it, it is real. It's just that people who can be hypnotized for their own good, a lot of them are totally resistant to clucking like a chicken. So it's, it's kind of funny. It is real, Alex, but the people who they generally hypnotize on stage, they're quizzed beforehand. They, they make sure they're of the right personality type. If you're, of a, if you're sort of a free thinker or have a defiant personality, uh, you're not the kind of person who goes to parties and accidentally gets drunk on water. You're not going to turn into a chicken on stage. Dang. Yeah. I, won't, I'm, I guess I won't be a chicken on stage. Uh, um, <laughs> and yeah, you're 100% right about people being in control of the situation when they're hypnotized. You really can't be hypnotized into doing something that you don't on some level want to do. Now, that doesn't mean that people can't be hypnotized to do things that consciously they don't want to do. But it's, you know, uh, for example, if somebody wants uh, to engage in criminal behavior subconsciously, well, it's possible that they could circumvent, you know, certain conscious uh, blocks that they've got. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And similarly, people generally never remember what happens when they're being hypnotized, but they're they're totally lucid throughout the, uh, the right. procedure. And you cannot make someone forget something that they don't want to forget either. So that's something you see a lot in uh, like movies. You know, people uh, people are sort of forced into forgetting things um in hypnotic states that that's not a thing unless you want it unless you actually want to get rid of that information yeah a lot of people describe waking up from hypnosis like waking up from a dream where you can remember parts of it but it's kind of fleeting yeah 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 weird stuff and it's also a subjective experience which i find very interesting um some people say that they feel like they're made out of lead and that they're sinking into a dark place, a comfortable dark place, not like a scary dark place. Other people, complete opposite. Oh, I was, I was light as a feather and I was floating into the brightest, brightest place. So it's very interesting that uh, uh, just how much it varies in that sense. Um, but what, what I find most fascinating about hypnotism, this is what I really wanted to cover more than anything, is the effect on physiology. Because... Yes. Yeah, the the mind and the body connection is just amazing. There have been instances of people being hypnotized and touched with room temperature metal, for example, like a spoon. And they're told this spoon is searing hot and their skin will blister. It'll blister because they think that it's searing hot. And that's just astonishing. Um, <laughs> the most interesting example, though, in my opinion... Uh, well, actually, let me, let me talk about this first before I get into that, because there's a little bit of a connection. Uh, you guys probably know who uh, Wim Hof is, right? Really? No. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I don't know. Uh, okay, well, the Iceman. He's called the Iceman. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Wim Hof. Um, a lot of the things that he does... Well, uh, describe to our listeners who he oh, is. Oh, sure, sure. I don't know uh, Wim Hof is a, this peculiar little Dutch fella who... Upon his his wife's suicide, I probably shouldn't have to go that far back into it, but still, he uh, he went on like a little bit of a life journey, and he learned Tumo, which we, we covered in the Tulpa episode. That, that's what that amazing woman practiced, the uh, Tibetan breathing techniques. He, uh, he learned Tumo, and he 
sort of modified it for like a Western audience. And he began to use breathing techniques, these techniques, in order to enter sort of a quasi-hypnotic state, as well as altering uh, the pH, presumably, of his blood, which, you know, that, that's actually more chemistry than, than psychological, but still. And it's allowed him to withstand circumstances that really don't add up. Like the guy, he's like climbing mountains in his boxers. He's, he's taking baths in water that should cause hypothermia, things like that. Things that a person shouldn't be able to do, he does. And a lot of it has to do with sort of, I would actually call it pre-hypnotic uh, suggestion because he's not entering a full-blown trance, but he is entering a mental state where he's more receptive to accept ideas and to alter uh, the way he perceives the world in a way that lets him do things that he should not be able to do. Well, and what I what I did read was, and this might apply to that, is sure. You can get the hypnotic results through meditation. It just takes a lot more work. Ah, uh, yeah, absolutely. So, like, you can make these, you can make these weight loss changes. You can make these, uh, like, dropping cigarette changes through meditation. It just takes more work. Right. Absolutely. Um, the reason why it's more on the cusp, though, is is Tumo. In some ways, you could say Tumo is kind of like a hybrid. It's it's sort of this weird in between of a meditative state and a hypnotic state. Um, and a lot of that simply has to do with the fact that you're overloading the brain with oxygen. And that's, uh, that's going to cause some dramatic chemical changes. Um, and that sort of leads me to what's, it's just very strange, human hibernation. It, presumably a person, if they can enter a hypnotic state really so uh, deep that they sort of shut down. And I mean shut down. I'm not talking about going to sleep. I'm talking about virtually non-existent breathing, incredibly slow heart rate, incredibly slow. We, we talked about this in the clone episode, incredibly slow cellular division. And that leads me to the strange story of Carolina Olson. Her story is very unusual, and I find certain elements hard to believe. And it's actually even debatable whether this is really hypnosis or not, and not some really mysterious other thing. But I figure this is the only topic that really overlaps with her, so... It's hypnosis, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, she was called <laughs> the Sleeping Beauty of Okno, which is a little rural Swedish village. And in the 19th century, and this is super weird to think, because this was, you know, this was in the late 19th century. Uh, they were still in this rural area that was very superstitious. Like, this, this feels more medieval. Here's what happened. Uh, when she was little, she got hit in the head, and then she was fine. Nothing, nothing bad happened. Then in her 20s, she got a toothache. This is what I find very unusual. I, I'm pretty baffled here. 19th century Sweden, her parents say, oh, your tooth is sore because of witches. Uh, go take a nap. I didn't know that was still a thing. I didn't know people bought into that back then. I thought that was well gone after the uh, Enlightenment, but whatever. So anyway, the midwife shows up, and they give her milk and sugar water. I guess because witches, I don't know. Uh, and then she ends up just not waking up. She just, she goes to sleep and she doesn't wake up. So a doctor says she's in a coma, which makes some degree of sense, but not really, because we'll get more into that. Uh, he starts uh, writing a medical journal and trying to figure out like, what's going on? How do I treat this? This doesn't make sense. I'm a country doctor in Sweden, guys, help me. Um, 
And here's here's where this is where it gets a little weird. This is not something that happens with comas. Okay. First of all, she's mumbling prayers. People in comas don't do that. And more importantly, her hair and her nails aren't growing at all. She's not eating. How long was she in a hypnosis or how long was she in the state? Uh, 32 years. <gasps> yeah, exactly. So it, was a little, it was a little while. So she didn't age she at didn't, all? It, while she no. Was- when she woke up psychologically and physiologically, she was 25. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, this should not be the case. This should not have happened. None of this makes sense. Um, at one point, they finally decided, okay, maybe it's not witches. Let's... Uh, <laughs> Maybe, I'm not kidding, it's hysteria. They did use electroshock <laughs> therapy, and it didn't do anything, anything, you guys. None of it worked. So they just kind of gave up. They were like, you know what, give her some milk, and, you know, that's it. So then her uh, her mom died, and she didn't respond. But then one of her brothers died, and she began crying. But she still wouldn't wake up. She would cry in her sleep. So she seemed, uh, obviously, she's taking in information, guys, but she's not awake. For the next few years, she didn't eat anything at all. But then, Except for milk. Yeah. But then one day, two days after April Fool's, oddly enough, uh, 1908, she just wakes up. And the maid walks in, and, and she's just absolutely psychotic. She's crying. She's jumping around. She's acting nuts. So the maid calls her brothers and they show up, the ones that aren't alive still, and she didn't recognize them because they had aged. Uh, She was super skinny, which, you know, not eating in 32 years, except for the occasional glass of milk will do that to you. She was just really out there, like psychologically. She couldn't talk very well. But after a while, um, she started remembering everything and she just fully recovered. She just never, she had not eaten or, or really done much of anything in, in decades. And when she hit the ground running, it was just like, it was like somebody pushed the reset oh, button. Yeah. She's basically just 25 again. And yeah, her muscles should have atrophied. Right. Uh, and sure enough, I mean, she was skinny, but she should have, she should have died as far as that goes. Well, she yeah. should have been able to get up and run around. Right. Um, so the whole thing is just super weird. Now there's been a lot of skepticism. Some people claim that, you know, she probably, uh, was, you know, waking up at certain points and sneaking and getting food. And it is possible that it's fake. It's conceivable, but it's very strange to me that a bunch of doctors were involved in this and none of them found anything up. They were all baffled. Uh, she ended up finally dying in 1950. She was 88. So yeah. She lived a nice long life. Yeah. Did she look like she was, what, 50? When That's she died? a good question. I'm not sure. <laughs> but there are wow. photographs of her, uh, you know, uh, right, not, not long after she woke up. And yeah, she does not look uh, like she, she should have been uh, in her 50s. That's for sure. So, but then again, maybe it was just beauty sleep. <laughs> um, but yeah. I, I do have a story that ties in a quick one. Okay. A quick story that ties into what you were talking about, about the, uh, how it seemed like there's like mental changes in the body. Ah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the hypnosis causes changes in the body. And this one's called, uh, let's see. This is a story by a guy named Scott Schmarin. Schmarin? Okay. Probably. He's an internationally known therapist. 
And he hypnotized a guy uh, who had prostate cancer, and he was going to go in for a surgery. Hmm. And he says that right before the surgery, I did a session with him and recorded it for him to use to control his ability to heal, to heal and recover quickly. And so he recorded the session so that his his patient could play it during the surgery and afterwards. And so after his surgery, there was a horrible mistake made. He was given a lethal dose of heparin and blood thinner. Oh, wow. he was hemorrhaging. He was hemorrhaging inter- internally, and they were preparing for him to die. He put on his recording of our session, and his bleeding stopped, and all of a sudden his blood pressure increased. And it saved his life. The doctors could not explain how he was able to get the blood clot, how, how he was able to get his blood to clot and stop his hemorrhaging with a lethal dose of a blood thinner. Man. Where was that, that story from? That story was on a website called Grace Space Hypnosis. Grace ha- Space Hypnosis? Yep. <laughs> but it's a, frequent, it's a frequent story that I found with... Several others that are repeated on several sites. Trippy stuff. Hmm. Yeah, the, the, the impact of, of mine. Oh, now I know what I really want to be hypnotized for. Forget confidence. wonder what would happen if I actually was hypnotized into thinking I was immortal. Oh. Yeah. Maybe you could. Oh, man. Hashtag Blackburn. Or wait, not Blackburn. What's that called? Brightburn. <laughs> Brightburn. Brightburn. Yeah. Okay, well. Uh, yeah, I think I'm think I'm done. Yeah, go for it, Cece. Those uh, are some... I lied. My story came off Reader's Digest. Well, that's better. <laughs> that's, a more, that's a more admirable source. <laughs> so I am, you guys have been talking about like the story that you just shared is kind of like a, I guess, an everyday use that people can use hmm. hypnotism for, for um, quick recovery and pain management. So I am kind of, kind of go into some different things that you can use hypnotism for and also like the darker side of hypnotism. Ooh. Um, and all of the the sources that I have, and there are a couple that are scattered about, about my research, but I got some stories from a website called listverse.com, the Washington Post, a website called thecenterofsuccess.com, a blog post titled, Look Into My Eyes. Is hypnotism real or just suggestion? By David Britland, and a scholarly work called Hypnosis as a Defense by Lou Clark. Hmm. So hypnotism, as you guys have mentioned, can be used for lots of different things. And James, I know that you talked uh, briefly about how it could be used as a means of pain management, like during childbirth. There are a couple of celebrities who have apparently mm-hmm. made use of this, including from one site that I saw said that Kate Middleton used it. Hmm. And Jessica Alba used it. Je- she said yeah. she doesn't even hardly remember it. Yeah, Jessica yeah. Alba used it. And um, Giselle Bunchen. Yeah, that person. Yeah. Married to Tom Brady. She's big. She's big stuff. She's big. I thought she was a model. She's beautiful. (laughs) Um, And I think that your cousin, your cousin Sarah, actually used something similar during her childbirth. I have no idea. Well, I think she talked about it. Don't quote me on that. Anyways, prior to pain meds, back in the olden days, various cultures used hypnosis to reduce pain. So, uh, according to an article I read from Gizmodo, there's historical documentation of ancient India and China using hypnosis for the specific purpose. As James mentioned, Europe kind of adopted the practice during the 18th century with like mesmer. And it's 
popularity started to kind of waver once pain meds were actually created. So when people could pop a pill and not feel any pain, hypnosis wasn't wasn't (laughs) needed as often. But it is hypnosis for pain reduction is something that is still used today. So according to, I think it was the center of success.com, they had a list of celebrities who have used hypnotism. Lots of athletes apparently use it for pain, pain relief, which mm-hmm. makes sense. Like, of course they would. And I saw that Mary Lou Retton used hypnosis to manage foot pain. And she later went on to win an Olympic gold medal at the, uh, the Olympics. I think it was mm. 1984. But I will say that according to some other websites, Mary Lou Retton used hypnotism to just picture herself winning a gold medal. Mm. So whether she used it for pain relief or for focus or for both. So it may have been a dream board. It may have been a dream That's board. The secret. I would have asked her myself, but I don't have her number. Huh. So oh, get, yeah, I couldn't get an answer. But speaking of focus, a lot of people also use hypnotism to strengthen their focus to accomplish goals. Center of Success claims that Mozart used it to compose one of his famous operas. Tiger Woods used or possibly maybe still uses it to focus on achieving greatness in golf. And apparently he started when he was like a kid. Hmm. which I thought was really interesting. Um, And Albert Einstein used it to develop his ideas, including the theory of relativity that apparently came to him while he was in one of his hypnotic trances. Hmm. Interesting. He was apparently a big proponent for hypnotherapy. I saw his picture during some of my hypnosis research, but I I didn't read about him. I was just like, Einstein, who cares? (laughs) 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 Lots of people use it for self-improvement. And I know that you talked about like, stopping smoking cigarettes, weight loss. Uh, I read a lot of stories. I couldn't find anything that said that Orlando Bloom said this like publicly, but I found a lot of stories that claim that Orlando Bloom, his mom took him to hypnotherapy when he was a kid to lose weight because he was addicted to chocolate. <laughs> what? That's insane. There, there, are, there are stories of people using hypnosis to lose weight and sometimes it's just because they're addicted to a specific food i don't need i don't need it to lose weight but i should probably cut back on my chocolate <laughs> or my ice cream that's my big anyways vibe. yeah i uh, yeah i would i would ice be cream. i would be arnold mode if i didn't have ice cream <laughs> <laughs> well as you mentioned a lot of celebrities have also used it to kick their smoking habit Mm. Matt Damon has publicly spoken about how hypnosis helped him stop smoking. And then I read that Ben Affleck, Drew Barrymore, Britney Spears. I read that Charlize Theron and Ellen DeGeneres have used it to stop smoking. Um, Anyways. uh, Lots of of celebrities. Yeah, lots of celebrities say it works. So listeners, if you smoke, when you're finished listening to this podcast, why don't you pop on Google, find a local hypnotist. And see if you can quit smoking. But you have to want to quit. Yeah, you have to want to quit. But I promise you, your body will thank you. <laughs> oh, um, this was provided by Truth. Yeah, yeah. Or whatever the commercial oh, is. Yeah, man. sponsored by Truth. <laughs> and it, I guess this isn't really self-improvement, but I read a very interesting article about parents apparently using hypnotism to make their kids better. Oh, Whoa. Do the old and maybe way. that's what Tiger Woods' parents did, and Orlando Bloom's parent, I guess. But a 2016 interview posted in New York Post uh, with professional hypnotist named Lisa Mockenberg. She told them, "Quote: If we learn hypnosis parenting, we learn how hypnotism 
can make our children to be cooperative, peaceful, have containment, have good study habits because they have focus and more resilience out there in the world, end quote. There's something hmm. kind of creepy about that. It's yeah, very creepy. Well, it's creepy. It's even cre- it gets creepier. She claims that she uses it uses it regularly on her kids and husband. Oh hmm. man! Yeah, which especially in this like era of like you know consent. Yeah, I feel so bad, but I mean, I know you can't be told to do something you don't want to. But as a kid, you don't you're not really you don't yeah. really know what you want. Oh, I don't like it. No. Yeah, it doesn't sound <laughs> entirely healthy. But who am I to judge? Um, Also, Lisa charges $125 an hour, according to the New York Post. She lives in L.A., has one uh, great Yelp review, five stars. One Yelp review? According to her website, she primarily practices childbirth and pain management hypnosis and relationship hypnotherapy services. So I guess that, like, hypnotizing kids isn't her, Mm. her area of expertise. But she doesn't. Trippy. Kid. And she advocates for it. Yeah. But it sounds a little like a moral gray area. Yeah. Yeah. I, I keep thinking of that little Britain sketch with the, the dude who's a hypnotist who's on a date and he keeps hypnotizing his date to order the cheapest food. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that. I'll have oh, to watch that. Really funny. I think that's a very moral way to use hypnotism. <laughs> <laughs> Cece, you don't want the steak. You want the French fries. I'm always, listen, I'm always going to want the steak. That will never work with me. <laughs> um, so enough about self-improvement. What about the darker side of hypnosis? I don't know. Guys? G- give me the dark stuff. We haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. Okay. So there are lots of instances of people claiming to have committed heinous crimes while under hypnosis, which I guess like you can't really believe someone who's. I mean, if I committed a crime, I would say I was under hypnosis as well. That's why I told the guy that pulled me over last time I was speeding. Yeah, yeah I was. Uh, where am I? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I must have been hypnotized. I was in a hypnotic <laughs> trance. Um, but seriously, search hypnosis crimes on Google, and you'll find like lists of people who have claimed this. But I'll briefly discuss just a couple of high-profile cases. And um, there is a little kind of gray area between like hypnotism and, I guess, like drug use which you'll find out in just a second. But I found a whole bunch of articles about one of the Manson family members who claimed to have been not necessarily hypnotized, but under the hypnotic spell of Charles Manson. Hmm. So um, Susan Atkins and James, I know that you know a lot about the Manson murders. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Try not to make him sound like an aficionado. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's exactly what I am though. I'm a Charlie aficionado. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in case you listeners don't know who Susan Atkins is, she was one of the Charles Manson cult members accused in nine of the group's murders, including the Sharon Tate murders. But she claimed to have, quote, been under the hypnotic spell of Charles Manson while she did his, his bidding. And this, from a lot of different articles I could find, it caused a big stir because people were concerned that the Manson family would use hypnosis as their defense in court. Mm -hmm. So I I read some things that like different psychiatrists weighed in on, on whether hypnosis was used or could be used as a defense Uh, at the time, because I don't think that it was really like, it wasn't common for somebody to say I was hypnotized when I murdered those people. Yeah. But I think at least in the, the Charles Manson murders, there's a big difference between being hypnotized and being brainwashed, exactly. which is more along the lines of what was happening in the 
Manson murders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, there were drugs involved. Exactly. And then, yeah. Know, Hypnotists got- don't usually give you acid and then tell you they're Jesus while you're on acid. So. Yeah, exactly. So um, at the end of the day, it was more brainwashing in that case. But yes. uh, I did think it was very interesting that they kind of kind of touched upon hypnosis briefly. But, you know, Charles Manson was a sociopath. So he was a psychopath. Oh, yeah. So he he probably did have a hypnotic charm to him. Well, serial killers seem to. Yep, they sure do. No conscience. Yeah, he technically um, isn't a and, killer, though. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Here I, we go, I just throw that out there, yeah. He did not kill anybody. <laughs> well, anyways. Uh, another person who claimed, or... I guess he didn't really claim it, but a lot of people think that he was under hypnosis when he did this. But um, Saran Saran, who assassinated Robert F. Kennedy. Whoa, I never heard of that. Wow. Yeah. Apparently, as police took him down after he shot Kennedy, officers took note of how calm he seemed to be. They said that he had, quote, peaceful eyes. And so he, he seemed like he was in a trance. For what had just happened, he was very, very calm. And... I got a lot of this information from the Washington Post, but Saran was interviewed by a Harvard medical professional uh, or professor with an expertise in psychiatry and hypnosis. And the professor said, quote, Mr. Saran did not act under his own volition and knowledge at the time of the assassination and is not responsible for actions coerced and or carried out by others. End quote. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. I was like, that's exactly. (laughs) Yeah. The professor said that it was possible that Saran had been hypnotized or hypno programmed to carry out the assassination. Old boy. Very, (laughs) very Manchurian candidate. Very MK Ultra. Oof. And some people don't even think that uh, Saran pulled the trigger. And I read, I, like, I honestly, I went off on a tangent researching that specific case just because it was so interesting. <laughs> yeah. But there are a lot of conspiracy theories around that assassination. Oh, um, yeah. But very interesting. Saran did apparently admit guilt in a recorded fashion at some point, which, um, I mean, some he was hit. someone went to visit people him. People do that. Him. But twist, twist, twist. <laughs> I, I read an article that Kennedy's son met with Saran in jail in 2018 and that he is convinced that Saran didn't kill his own father. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. This is a whole, we we need to do a Kennedy episode at some point. Yeah, we will. We will in the future. We'll call it the dead Kennedys. Oh, Oh. Oh. let's, you know, let's just move past that. (laughs) I I do want to touch upon one other really interesting thing that I found while I was looking up this stuff in 1946, the BBC actually carried out an experiment to see if hypnotism was safe to broadcast. Do you guys know about this? No. A hypnotist named Peter Kaysen carried out the test and they kind of, they decided to do this actually after he, they brought him into their studio and he did hypnotist for just like a live studio audience. And then one of their camera guys that was watching the hypnotism from another room exhibited the, the hypnotism effects. He tried to get everybody fall asleep so this oh. guy, and so they were like, "I wonder if it's safe to broadcast." So then they did an experiment where they had six people watching um, the hypnotist do his little act, and four of the six fell asleep. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So a- after the experiment, the BBC released a press release saying that hypnotism was not safe to broadcast, and current broadcasting standards 
still banned the practice, at least in England. I couldn't find much on the rules surrounding broadcasting hypnotism in America. Uh, I think it kind of varies from state to state, but the Hypnotism Act of 1952 in England, quote, prohibits demonstrations on people under 18 and applies to any broadcast demonstration or hypnotism at or in connection with an entertainment which admits the public. And, uh, quote, in particular, a hypnotist must not broadcast his or her full verbal routine or be shown performing straight to the camera. Hypnotism acts, particularly those designed to ridicule someone, should be treated with care in entertainment programs. They might be both harmful and offensive to our audience, end quote. Whoa. So interesting. I thought that that was very interesting. Because, you know, we, <laughs> see, we see people get hypnotized in movies all the time. Yeah. Doesn't necessarily mean that the audience is going to get hypnotized, but I thought that that was really interesting. It's really interesting. Huh. Great. I can't believe someone had laws against doing it over a broadcast. It's dangerous. Don't do it. <laughs> hmm. So you see this pendulum swing in front of your face. You're getting very sleepy. <laughs> our, That's really interesting. Our audience is now hypnotized. Asleep? Yeah. Oh, God. I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, that's. That's really all that I have today. Wow. This is what I learned a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I learned a lot studying, but you all had a lot too. Yeah. And actually, this is one of the few that I completely buy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I agree. I think that hypnotism is real, and I think that it can be used for great things. When it comes to like crimes and stuff, I don't unless know somebody I... has that uh, subconscious desire to do something bad i don't think that it can be used to yeah, agreed i think that all the cases that we've gone over where it has been bad it's not really hypnotism so True much hypnotism. as yeah yeah it's it's yeah. a mixture. maybe brainwashing yeah or... <clears throat> exactly yeah huh wow guys fun stuff they got really cool and i didn't know that there would actually be conspiracies involving hypnotism yes. i figured there would be i guess because there's so many crimes that are quote-unquote because of hypnotism there there were a lot out there, and there were more stories that I wish I could have gone into, but and look 90, them up, you guys. 90% of them were in Florida. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> that's a fake statistic. Yeah. That's one that Alex pulled out of his own book. It might be more. It might be true, guys. It might be true. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, I got a, one more thing to say. Have you guys ever heard oh, of hypnotizing yeah. chickens? No. <laughs> no. Uh, okay. Animals can be hypnotized, but... It varies, like the process, and I don't know who found this out. I'm assuming some really, really bored farmer, but if you put a chicken, I'm not kidding, in front of a line that you've drawn, like say in chalk, and you put its beak parallel to that uh, line, and you just hold it in front of it for like a minute, you can put the chicken down and it just won't move until you shake it. Like it just, it's, it goes into a trance indefinitely. The it's something people do for fun in the middle of nowhere. Every time? <laughs> Every time. I And James, you have chickens. Have you tried it yet? I have not. <laughs> so so you're going to need to report back to us when you're able to, to test it out with your chickens. Good idea. Maybe we can post it to our Instagram. Oh, that'd be oh. fun. <gasps> that being said, you guys, if you listen to us and you like our podcast, please, number one, rate, review, and subscribe. Yeah, tell, tell your friends about us. Tell your friends about us. Family as well. Um, also, if you have any stories of paranormal origin or that are just strange or if you've been hypnotized and did something crazy, uh, we want to know about it. Send us your stories to 13thfloorpodcast at gmail.com and we might read them in a future episode. 
Uh, You can also DM us subjects that you want to hear us talk about on Twitter at 13th Floor Pod or on Instagram at 13th Floor Podcast. Yeah. And oh, but we got a draw for our uh, topic next week. We got a draw. Are you guys ready? I'm ready. James, are you ready? (laughs) In our overly expensive vase that I must comment on. Alex. Contractually obligated. Enough of it. (laughs) All right. Next week, we are talking about Area 51. Ooh. Ooh, This is going to be our second alien episode then. Yes. Unless I learned something new about Area 51 and there's werewolves over there. There might be. Who knows? There's probably (laughs) not, but I hope there is. We need to look into it. (laughs) All right, guys. Um, Do you guys have anything else to add before before we head out? Uh, no, I just, there's a good episode. And also don't forget to plug our music. Oh, yes. Um, our music is Signal by Grant Cook. You can find him on Amazon Music, Spotify, uh, iTunes, anywhere that you can find music. Yeah. And guys, don't forget to keep, keep it strange. strange. <laughs> Bye. See ya.